0: It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's broadcast is pre recorded. I am a servant of the God of heaven. My business is to bring sinners to repentance. I'm commanded to do my work to turn men and women, children, Boys and girls, from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. These are the words of Great Heart as he speaks to this giant grim who comes with his sophistry. Try to defeat Great Heart so that he will no longer be able to bring to victory men and women, stealing them out of the camp of the devil, taking them to the kingdom of God. That's the work that I'm also charged with, to be a servant of the Most High God, and my business is to bring sinners to repentance. There's a passage of Scripture that I want to take you to today. It's found in the book of Jeremiah. Isaiah preached and taught righteousness. He prophesied about the destruction of Jerusalem. He warned God's people that a great time of trouble was coming upon them because of their sin. After Isaiah died, during the time of Manasseh, Jeremiah was born. And there was about a 30-year period where there was no word of God being spoken in Israel. But there were many false prophets, and they were all prophesying the same thing. They were prophesying wonderful prosperity for God's people, and it was a prosperous time. Finances flowed freely, and every other unclean thing was brought in to the worship of the Most High God. Today we have had more than 30 years since a straight word of God was lifted up over this nation. And even those those who at one time perhaps preached a straight word, most have compromised today. I was listening to a broadcast where a pastor was being interviewed and he was telling with a great excitement about how he was on his way to switzerland and then he was on his way to this nation and then that nation and here and there he was going all over the place and i i was eager to hear what he was going to talk about because he's coming to the northern virginia area and so the interviewer began to question him about what he was going to say to god's people and he said well We're going to charge $10 a head for this seminar. And I'm going to be teaching God's people how to make money. I'm going to be teaching them how to enter into kingdom principles so that they can prosper in this time when others are not prospering. And if they'll simply put into effect the principles of the kingdom of God, they will become very, very prosperous. Immediately I knew that this man was a liar. He was a false prophet. He was like one of those in the Old Testament that would come prophesying there will be no destruction, there is a great time of prosperity coming for God's people, things are only going to become much better than they are now, and if you'll just learn this secret that I have, and if you'll pay me ten bucks, And then no doubt they'll have their offerings and they'll call for lines of people. They'll have a $100 line and a $50 line and a $10 line. People come up and put their money in because they want to be rewarded. They'll plant their seed with that ministry, and it's not a ministry at all. It's a con artist. It's a a ripoff. But that's what's going on in the body of Christ today. So Jeremiah comes, and and now Jeremiah is going to be the prophet who not only says the great judgments of God are coming upon our nation, but he's going to be the one who actually is present when the Babylonian captivity comes on the nation of God. What's frightening about this is that the judgment of God is now being poured out on America. And I listened to a pastor this last week who boldly proclaimed with great eloquence and and fine words, dressed up in silk, that the fires in Colorado were in no way connected to God's judgment on America, and certainly not any kind of judgment on Colorado, because. God is a God of love and mercy and grace and he would not ever bring these kinds of judgments on America. And that anyone who would dare say such a thing is a, an outcast, doesn't understand God, doesn't understand the word. What a foolish man. Those fires were a direct result of the judgment of God on Colorado. That's my home state. I know what's going on in Colorado. Occultism is rife throughout the whole culture of Colorado today. Every unclean thing is being lifted up in that state, turning against the Most High God. Same is true in many other states in America today. And the judgments of God are going to come with with great power. I want to share with you just a few things that Jeremiah had to say, because I think as I share this with you, you'll see how applicable they are for actually what's happening today. My name is Ray Greenley. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I thank you for joining. I've prayed before coming to this broadcast that only men and women with hearts that are open And minds that are ready to hear the word of God would tune in and listen. For what I have to share with you is not easy, but it is the word of God. He tells us in Jeremiah, the second chapter, that as the children of Israel turned to false and worthless idols, they became worthless themselves. I remember. About 30 years ago, when the seeker sensitive church began to emerge in America, when church growth was the rage, and the philosophy was very simple remove the cross, remove everything that would be objectionable to a seeker, rename your church so that you are now a community church or you are. New Life Church, or some other pleasant-sounding name. And then send out invitations. Tell people about the wonderful children's program you have. Tell them you have plenty of parking and child care for them. Bring in the donuts and the coffee. Get the band to start your praise and worship service because worldly people like the bands. That's what they're accustomed to at the clubs. And there was a whole renaissance of the world in the church with every kind of unclean thing flooding into the body of Christ. We're now reaping the harvest that came out of that renewal of worldliness in the body of Christ. And we're seeing that many, many people have come and joined the church, but they were never born again. They were never converted. They're still pagans at heart, but now they have an overlay of Christianity so that when you speak with them, they know the Christian language and they know how to say the appropriate words. But then during the week, they also know how to hang with the world. They know how to do everything the world is doing, and in fact, that's exactly what they're doing. So that when you pull and do research, there is no demonstrable difference between those who say they're Christians and those who say they're pagans. And of course, Reformed theology, as it's expressed in today's culture, was very much a part of helping to enable that wicked movement to take place in the body of Christ. Now, I've been sharing out of John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress, he was a Reformed Baptist. He believed in imputed righteousness. But he did not believe in a sinning Christian. He believed that when a man or woman came to Christ, the power of sin was broken and they walked in righteousness or they were not saved. Today, that Reformed theology has been twisted and turned to say that, yes, I can continue to walk in my sin and I am saved at the same time. That's a new twist. It's not the ancient teaching, certainly not the teaching of Scripture. But now listen in Jeremiah, the second chapter, verse 6, they did not ask, where is the Lord? Verse 8, the priests did not ask, where is the Lord? So he's describing the preamble to the capture of Jerusalem, to the destruction of God's people and to the killing of, of literally millions of people. I suspect that we are now in that same preamble for America being taken captive. The Lord has told me that Washington, D.C. will be destroyed by an atomic bomb. I don't know when and I don't know how. I just know this city is going to face the wrath of God's judgment. I say that with tears because I love America and I love this city. It's been my place of ministry for many years. But it won't be just Washington, D.C. America will burn in one day, and we will see the terrible devastation of this land even as Israel saw the terrible devastation of their land and of Jerusalem. And in the preamble to this, the pastors are no longer even asking, where is God? Where is Jesus? Because the assumption is, everything is going fine, and he's here, and we're doing great, and we're prospering, and and we're happy, and everything is going just like we want it to go. It says, those who dealt with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal. Baal was the god of prosperity. So in America, the pastors are coming, and they are preaching by Baal. I could name many of them. Dollar, T.D. Jakes, I could name many others. They're preaching by Baal, They're not preaching by the living God of heaven. He says, therefore, I bring charges against you, declares the Lord, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Verse 11, but my people have exchanged my glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror. And then he begins describing eight steps down into destruction. We find the first one in Jeremiah, the second chapter, verse 13. He says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. When I was a child, we moved into a house that did not have a good well. The water was not good. It was bitter. And Dad, walking around the property, out toward the back, found that there was a spring. And so he decided to change and draw water from that spring. So he took a water sample, sent it into the lab, and the test came back that it was wonderful, pure, clean water. So Dad put in a a casing and a pump and a water line to our house and we had the freshest and sweetest water i've ever tasted in my life a spring of living water jesus spoke about this spring of living water when he spoke with the samaritan woman he spoke about the water in these terms if you will if you'd ask me i would have given you a drink and you would never thirst again. And this woman wanted to know, how can you get this water? Jesus is referring here to the Holy Spirit that springs up in a man or woman who commits themselves to a godly life. It flows up out of the belly. It comes out from inside because the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in that person. He's saying, You have utterly forsaken the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have turned to a false place or a false source to receive the nourishment of water. And then listen number two, they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So he's saying, You have. You have chosen to turn away from the spring of constant flowing water, which is the Holy Spirit, and you have turned to spirits that are broken. When you invest in them, they don't satisfy your thirst. They're broken cisterns. And when you put into the cistern what you want, It leaks out, so it's not available for you. And so many of you today listening to this broadcast are constantly searching for something to fill that empty space in your soul. So you go from television to Internet to Game Boy to Xbox to music to food to work, searching, trying to find something that will satisfy your thirst. But the Lord is saying, these broken cisterns will never slack your thirst. Only the Holy Spirit can bring that inner sense of completeness in your life. Verse 17, have you not brought this on yourselves? when he led you in the way? Why do you go to Egypt? Why do you drink the water of Shinhor? Why do you go to Assyria to drink the, the water from the river there? Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord Almighty the Lord Almighty. He's saying, you've come to a place where you're no longer afraid of me. You have no fear of me. You treat me like a toothless old man, no longer any bite. And I have to be honest with you. In American Christianity, there is very little bite left. It's all sweetness. It's all love, it's all mercy, it's all kindness. But without the bite, there can be no real kindness. Without the bite, there can be no real sweetness. Because men and women have not been born again. They've never wept over their sin. They've never mourned over their sin. Have you? Have you mourned over your sin or do you feel self-satisfied? Are you constantly drawing in nourishment from the world? from entertainment, from the busy life you have so that there's no emptiness in your soul when Jesus is absent from you. I'm crying out to the Lord that there could be the beginning of conviction in our hearts that we would desire something deeper than this fluff that passes for religion in America. Something with teeth in it. Something with bite in it. Something that's masculine. Not a feminized faith. But a robust, strong, masculine faith in Jesus Christ. Long ago, he says, in verse 20, you broke off your yoke. You tore off your bones you said, I will not serve you. Indeed, on every high hill and under every spreading tree, you lay down as a prostitute. And he's using the term prostitute to simply say, you're happy with all of your business deals. You're happy with all of your social connections, but they have separated you from me. They have cut you off from the God of heaven so that You no longer understand what it means to walk in holiness before God. Verse 23. How can you say I'm not defiled? How can you say I've not run after the bales? See how you behave in the valley? Consider what you have done. You are as swift as a she-camel running here and there. In verse 25, Do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. But you said, It's no use. I love foreign gods. I must go after them. My heart breaks at that. A father called me yesterday to talk with me about his teenage son. He said, Pastor, I don't understand what's happening with my son. It seems that all he wants to do is play the Xbox. And when I restrict that, he wants to go to the television. When I restrict that, he wants to go to the Internet. He wants to go to the cell phone. He said, it's almost as though suddenly my son has a bent place in his heart that leads him constantly to darkness. There is something that is drawing him into darkness in such a powerful way that I have no recourse. I don't know what to do. I don't want to embitter his heart against me, but I cannot stand to watch him go into this utter darkness. This is the story of America. And our Father in heaven has watched as his children have gone into every unclean thing. And some of you listening to this broadcast today, I'm surprised you're still listening. Because in your heart you've said, Pastor, I'm going to have my sin, whether you think it's right or wrong. I'm going to still have my sin. And you're still going to the alcohol? You're still getting drunk? You're still doing the drugs? You're still playing with women or men. You're still on the party circuit. You're saying it's hopeless. I can't be free. I might as well go ahead and enjoy the sinful life that's here for me. And God will understand. No, God will not understand. Because his blood is sufficient to break the power of these things. Some of you listening to this broadcast today have strong anger and bitterness and judgments against brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. A man I spoke with this last month said to me, Pastor, I haven't spoken to my dad in five years. Why? What could possibly keep a son from speaking to his father for five years? Those years are precious. They are passing by. Some of you have been hurt desperately by your mom or by your dad. They didn't meet your expectations. They didn't act like you thought they should act. Of course, you've always acted like God thought you should act, right? You know, you're right on track. You're on your way to heaven with your bitter heart. No, you're not. You can't have a bitter heart and expect God to forgive you for your sin. Remember the Lord's Prayer? It says, Forgive me as I forgive those who've sinned against me. God will only forgive your sins as you forgive others their sins. What I'm trying to say is that there is a a darkness that has come upon our nation. And because of that wickedness, because of that casualness, because of that lack of searching after God, his judgments are going to be poured out upon us. We continue to murder our babies. We continue to bomb other nations. We continue to act like we're the righteous policemen of the world when, in fact, we've become the wicked woman of Revelation, sitting on the beast, drinking the wine of of the blood of the saints? I mean, how do we explain? We go to Iraq, and the result is the Christian church is utterly destroyed. We go to Afghanistan. What is the result? The Christian church is utterly decimated. Egypt rises up. We support them. We help them. What's the result? The Christian church is utterly destroyed and Christians are murdered, driven out of the land. It seems that everywhere we go with our Americanism, the Christian church is utterly decimated. Is that startling to you? It should be. We're not a nation of peace anymore. How many years is it now that we've been constantly at war, attacking other nations who have not attacked us? Iraq did not attack us. In fact, it was the CIA that set Saddam Hussein in power. I mean, you look at the history. You look at the reality of what America is doing in the world. It's devastating to my heart. And I love this nation. I pray every day for God's blessing on America. But we have to face up to who we are. And if there is not a breaking out of repentance in America, this nation will be utterly destroyed. You ask, does God destroy nations? Well, look at the history. Nation after nation has been utterly destroyed in the history of this world. When their cup was finally full, God said, That's enough, and it is over. We're at that point. God is about to say, It's over. In fact, some of us believe that God has already said it's over, and that regardless now of what happens in America, the judgments are set and pronounced. And it's my cry now to win as many as I can out of this maelstrom of destruction that is coming upon this nation and to save as many as possible. This was Jeremiah's cry as he constantly cried out in Jerusalem against the sin of these wicked people. And I come and likewise cry out against the wicked people of America. It's time to repent. It's time to turn once more to the living God. Can I be honest? I suspect it won't be the churchgoers who repent. I suspect that they're vaccinated thoroughly against the gospel of Jesus. They think they know it, they live in their sin, and they're happy. I suspect the ones who are going to be saved before the final and full destruction of America Will be the pagan youth who have watched the games, who've watched the sickness, and who finally in their heart will say, I'm tired of my wicked life. Can I be born again? Is there something else other than this constant wickedness that I've engaged in? And I suspect the church is going to fill up with young people, tattooed, funny hair. Dressed in all manner of different ways, but hearts utterly sold out to Jesus. I think the Lord is going to raise up, no, I'll be bolder. I know the Lord is going to raise up a final remnant of the righteous before this nation is utterly destroyed. And I would wish that it would be the lukewarm Christians who could be set on fire, who would hear a message like this and not turn in scorn, but would choose to seek after Jesus. I fear it won't be you. I fear it will be the pagan youth who finally say, enough's enough, I want something real. I don't want the despair and destruction of wickedness, I want righteousness. I'm praying that God will cause a great hunger in the hearts of men and women for righteousness to be done with this wickedness, to be done with violence, to be done with watching violence, hearing about violence. The Lord has told me, Ray, turn your face away from the violence. Don't even look at it. Even on the news, don't look at it. People tell me about this cannibalism and about the zombies and about all this. I don't want to hear about it. I'm not putting my head in the sand. I'm putting my head in Jesus. I don't need to see all this violence and wickedness that constantly flows. People say to me, oh, pastor, I have to watch the evening news. No, you don't. Turn your face away from that wickedness. Seek after Jesus. He's our only hope. He goes on. Chapter 2 of Jeremiah, verse 35. Yet in spite of all of this, you say, I am innocent. He's not angry with me but I will pass judgment on you because you say, I have not sinned. Many people that I speak with insist that they are innocent before God and that God is not an angry God, that God is rich in mercy and abundant in kindness and love, and he is that. But he's also, right now, a very angry God. A very angry God. He's angry with America. He's angry with the death and destruction that America wrecks on the world. He's angry with the police state that is being established in this nation. He's angry that men and women cannot even fly to their family and visit like they used to without being groped without being sexually molested. How long will Americans put up with their children being sexually molested by government agents at the airport? I'm astonished. I simply refuse to fly. I'm not going to be groped, and I'm not going to be radiated. If it takes me a long drive to go to my destination. Thank you. I'll take the time and I'll drive rather than being sexually molested. I mean, how long are we going to put up with this in America? How long are we going to put up with taxation? How long are we going to put up with the controls and the interference in liberty? Now you may say, pastor, why are you talking about it? Why are you saying these things? Well, Guess who the Minutemen were? The Minutemen who began this battle with England. The head of the Minutemen was the pastor of the local Baptist church. The Minutemen were the elders, the deacons of his church. It was in the church that the change took place. It was in the church that freedom took root. Freedom needs to take root once more in the church. Freedom from sin, freedom from oppression, freedom from government interference. It's time for the church to have the pulpit set on fire once more and begin to deal with the reality that we are in allegiance to Jesus Christ. And there are certain God-given rights that are not granted by the state. It is not the state's right to allow me to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. That is a gift from Almighty God, and it cannot be taken by a state. And we are in America becoming a fascist state. No, I'll change that. We are now a fascist state. We're controlled by the big banks and the government, as they have come together as one entity. How long are we going to put up with this in America? It breaks my heart. The wickedness is flowing out of every part of the government and every part of the culture and every part of the Christian church in America. Where do we stop committing ourselves to dumbness and begin to awaken and recognize the terrible plight that we are in and wake up and begin to say, Oh, God, I've sinned against you. Instead of protesting, I'm innocent. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. I'm still making my little paycheck. I don't mind that the government takes whatever that huge percentage is. Everything's fine. I'm safe. Well, for how much longer? It says in Jeremiah 2.35, I will pass judgment on you because you say, I have not sinned. Chapter 3, I'll begin with verse 2. Look up to the barren heights and see, declares the Lord. Is there any place where you've not been ravished? By the roadside you sat waiting for lovers, sat like a nomad in the desert. In other words, you camped out waiting for wickedness to come. You camped out waiting for those expensive new tennis shoes that you want to buy. Or you camped out waiting for the next movie of violence and darkness and sexual perversion that you want to go to. Or you camped out while you waited for Walmart to open for some special sale. I mean, come on. You camped out like a nomad in the desert waiting for your lover. You have defiled the land with your prostitution and wickedness. Therefore, the showers have been withheld, and no spring rains have fallen. Fifty-six percent of America today is in drought condition. Fires are burning across this nation. How much more do we need to see to recognize that this is God? He is moving. His judgments have come upon this nation. Don't tell me that it's just a phenomena of the weather when the first week of July is 104 degrees or 106 degrees, when the plants are burning up, when cattlemen are letting their cattle go out in the cornfield to try to eat the little bits of green that are still remaining of their hoped-for bountiful corn harvest. and then wait until the food prices begin to skyrocket. We're facing the judgment of God. And if we don't recognize it, if we don't open our eyes and stop simply saying, well, this is just climate change. Well, who's in charge of the climate? It's certainly not coming from cars and, and factories. It's coming from God. And we're facing the reality that life is being threatened in many parts of the world. But now it's being threatened in America. You have defiled the land with your prostitution and wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withheld and no spring rains have fallen. Yet you have the brazen look of a prostitute who refuses to blush with shame. Have you not just called me my father, my friend from my youth? Will you always be angry? Will your wrath continue forever? This is how you talk, but you do all the evil you can. So today in America, many are crying out to God and saying, you're my friend, you're my best friend, God. I love you, Jesus. I go to church. And then do all the wickedness you can during the week. Committing unimaginable, vile acts. Drunkenness. Illicit sex, adultery. Anger and bitterness. Cheating, lying, stealing. And yet we call God our friend, and our money says in God we trust, while well, every wicked thing is done with that money he says in verse fourteen, "This is Jeremiah the third chapter, verse fourteen, Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband, I will choose you, one from a town." two from a clan, and bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my heart, my own heart, who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. So he's saying, look, in the midst of the judgments, I'm going to go to one town and take one person and convict them of their sin and send them to be with a shepherd who will teach them the way of righteousness. one town, one person. Does that frighten you? As the judgments of God begin to pour out, God is going to look over this nation and he is going to find a sinner who has a heart that hates his sin and is willing to repent. The National Prayer Chapel has been founded to be a place where men and women who are convicted of their sin, not happy, lucky-go Christians who are not Christians, but men and women who are convicted of their sin or who desire to be convicted of their sin are willing to pay the price, whatever that price is, to come and sit and listen to godly teaching, to listen and learn and walk in the ways of the Almighty God and not in the ways of Baal the God of prosperity that the church serves today in America. Now, there are other churches who, likewise, just sprinkled here and there, who also are teaching righteousness and who are calling for repentance, but they're few and far between. And God has established the National Prayer Chapel to be a place where men can come and pray where they can sit on that mourner's bench and come through to victory and by the power of the blood of Jesus be forgiven for their sin, be washed and made clean before the Almighty, where they can come and just sit before the Lord and let him do the work of circumcision in their hearts necessary to walk on that narrow path that Bunyan speaks about in Pilgrim's Progress. The National Prayer Chapel meets at All Saints Anglican Church. I invite you to come if there is a spark of conviction in your heart. Don't come if you just want to visit another church. We're not just another church. We are a place where men and women are confronted with their sin and are encouraged in the path of righteousness. So we meet on Sunday afternoon at 12.30. The prayer time begins at 12 noon. At 12.30 we begin with a cappella, praise and worship. We made the decision not to go with a band and not to go with entertainment. And I have to tell you, the a cappella singing is beautiful. There are times when I've wished that I could have a piano or I could have a band or an orchestra. I'm not sure I'll ever go to that because I don't want even a taint of entertainment at the National Prayer Chapel. So I'd like to invite you today, if there is a spark in your heart that says, I want Jesus, if there is a hunger in your spirit that says, I'm tired of my sin, I'm tired of being drunk. I'm tired of the parties. I'm tired of the adultery. I'm tired of the fornication. I'm tired of my sin. I want something real. I want righteousness. If that's a cry that's beginning to flow out of your heart, then would you consider coming? You can get directions by going to nationalprayerchapel.com. And you'll find there a quest map, the little tab about us at the top of the page. You can also find there the broadcasts in video form that we have presented to you during this past week. I encourage you to go and listen and watch and pray. And see whether or not there's a spark of revival in your heart. I've asked the Lord how hard does it have to get in America before men and women will begin to say I want out of this wicked condition of my heart. I want to go with Jesus. And I tell you I have more on the other side than I have on this side. I've given family and fortune. I've given time. I've given everything I have for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's cost me everything to come to this radio station and proclaim his word. And by the way, I just want to bear a quick testimony. The last days of, of June, just enough money came in from listeners directed by the Holy Spirit to pay the radio bill for the month of July. You see, we don't pay after we've been on air. We prepay so that I can come on the air and not have any pressure to beg you for money. I want it prepaid. The Lord said to me, don't go in debt. If I paid at the end of the month, I would be in debt. I don't pay that way. I pay in advance or I don't come to the radio station. So I praise God for each of you who was faithful and who sent checks, and who helped cover the cost of radio for the month of July. And yesterday, a dear listener sent a check for $500. I was praying, and I was saying, Lord, would you encourage my heart that, that this month will not be the same struggle in the prayer closet? Would you give me some sign of encouragement? that August will be paid for in advance again without the fasting and prayer that it took for this month. And then I went to the post office and there was a check from a dear believer for $500. I said, Lord, thank you. That encouraged my heart. Now I'm just going to stand by faith for the month of August for the radio bill. But I do want to encourage you to come and and fellowship with the National Prayer Chapel if there is that spark beginning to burn in your heart because if you stay by yourself and you stay secluded, the devil will have access to send that giant grim and maul with his sophistry and you will lose it. And I don't want you to lose that spark that's beginning to burn in your heart. Don't be casual about it. Know that Jesus wants a change in your life. And I tell you honestly, he's changing my life also. I am not nearly deep enough in Jesus. And I am crying out day by day, take me deeper, Jesus. Uncover every part of my life and my heart. I want everything transparent before God. I don't want any hidden thing in my spirit or my life that stands in rebellion against the Most High God. He is my life. He is the love of my heart. So if that spark is being ignited today in your heart and over the weeks as you've listened, then go to nationalprayerchapel.com and find the address, find where we're at, All Saints Anglican Church. It's located right next to the Hilton Memorial Chapel on Gideon Boulevard. And we'll be meeting there around in the lower lobby. We'll be meeting there at 12 o'clock on this Sunday. And then 12.30 we'll begin praise and worship. I invite you to come and fellowship with us. We also meet there on Tuesday evenings. That's a much more intimate setting. It's more like a Wesley class meeting where we pray for one another, where we give testimonies, where we hold one another accountable in our walk with Jesus. So we have about two minutes left on this broadcast. Let me pray with you. Almighty God, my heart is stirred today. I see your judgments coming upon us. I see the drought growing in America. I see the fires burning. I see the financial world collapsing. I know we've come to an end. I know we've come to to destruction. Lord, I know it's time to repent. And I just ask now for that spark of conviction in my brother and my sister. I ask for a deepening of this work. I I ask for the flames of conviction to burn in my brother and my sister, that they would make a decision to get right with you, to give up their bail gods, to seek after your face with all their hearts. Lord, I thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of